I couldn't get in. All the kids were coming out. It's like, I've got to get up here. That's it was. Well, good morning again. If you have your Bibles, we are continuing our study through the book of Jonah. We are in the Jonah chapter 3. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll bring one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. It's important that you do. If you don't own a Bible, consider this a gift. It's yours to keep. All yours. Don't let the guys charge you for it. They're free, okay? We're continuing our study in a series that I've entitled, God's Call to Revival. Jonah chapter 3, we'll look at that today. Let's read through it first, starting in verse 1. We read, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, neither, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. The title of my study this morning is The God of Second Chances. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, Lord, to be in your word. And we pray, Lord, that we would have open hearts to receive all that you have for us this morning. We pray, Father, if there's anyone that has joined us that is yet to come into a saving knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ, Lord, that they would see their need for him today, Lord. They would turn from their sin and turn towards you this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to gather, Lord. We pray that we would have Open ears to receive all that you want to teach us today. We give you all the glory and honor and praise for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're a sports fan, you might appreciate this. On New Year's Day back in 1929, Georgia Tech played University of California Berkeley in the Rose Bowl. Roy Regals was the All-American Center for the University of California. Now, Roy was playing both offense and defense. It was towards the end of the first half when one of the Georgia Tech players fumbled the football. Well, Roy picked up the loose ball and started running for the goal some 65 yards away. There's only one problem. Roy was running in the wrong direction. Now, fortunately, one of Roy's teammates saw him and tackled him right before he crossed the goal line. So you might call him wrong way Roy. He didn't have his direction down. He had the right idea, just not going in the right way. So at the halftime... Uh, the team left the field. And as they're filling the locker room, you can imagine the shame and the embarrassment that wrong way Roy was feeling at that moment. 
Then there was complete silence in the team's locker room except for the sound of this man audibly crying. He was so ashamed. So finally the coach stood up to give the game plan for the second half. Everyone was surprised to hear the coach say, Men, the same team that started the first half will also start the second half. Well, Roy Regals lifted his head, his eyes filled with tears flowing down his cheeks. said, Coach, I can't do it. I, I ruined you. I ruined the University of California. I ruined myself. There's no way I can go out there and play again. And the coach reached out his hand and said, Roy, get up and go on back. The game is only half over. Well, Regals went on to play one of the most inspiring individual efforts in Rose Bowl history. Get up and try again, Roy. It's not over yet. Have you done something in your past that you're ashamed of? Have you ever felt like you've disappointed God to such an extent that He would never love you again, never accept you into heaven? Wouldn't it be nice if, if we could just erase certain parts of our lives that disappointed God? I remember as a kid playing kickball. You know, and you get your chance to be up and, and all of a sudden you'd have this bad shot and you go, do over, do over, you know, and, and you get a second chance to kick the ball. I think we grew up with that. Those that grew up with that, I did like it so much, we brought it to the game of golf and we call it a mulligan. Um, I actually heard the word mulligan means uh, maul it again. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. But wouldn't it be great to have do-overs in life? Man, I made a mistake as a husband. Oh, man, it would be great to say, Mulligan, do over. I made a mistake as a father, do over. I made mistakes as a husband or wife or a friend, do over. The mistakes I made as a pastor, do over. Are there things in your life that you would do differently? Would you like do overs? Well, listen, we serve a God that does do overs. A God of second chances. And that's what we're seeing in our story this morning. We pick it up with the Lord giving Jonah a second chance. A do-over. Now, I know most of us are familiar with the story of Jonah, but if you haven't been here with, the last, with us the last two weeks, let's do a quick recap. The Lord told Jonah to go preach to Nineveh. Nineveh was a wicked, immoral city known for its great atrocities, its, its evilness. They also happened to be the enemies of the Israelites. Well, Jonah was an Israelite. So the Lord said to Jonah, go, and Jonah said, no. Well, as Jonah was on the run... God pursued after him. Jonah boarded the ship going in the opposite direction from Nineveh. Uh, uh, you recall Jonah fell asleep as the, the boat you know, was taken off. Jonah fell asleep on board the ship. The great storm arose, brought about from God. And all the sailors began to despair of life. They cried out to the various gods that they had believed in, but the storm just got worse. And they thought, you know, hopefully everyone is prayed to the right God, but, but nothing was happening. Is there anybody else on this ship? Well, someone in the crew said, well, yeah, there's this one guy, Jonah, he's fast asleep down below. Get him up here. Let him call on his God. He, he might have the right one. So Jonah comes up on the deck. He says, guys, I need to tell you something. The storm is because of me. What? Yeah, you know, I, I follow the Lord who made the heavens and the earth and the sea, and it's all because of me. And I tell you right now, if you throw me overboard, the storm will stop. Not, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to do what God's called me to do, and the storm will stop. No, if you throw me overboard... Just give up my life. I don't care. The storm's going to stop. But while they said, we can't do that. You need to call on your God. He wouldn't do it. So they cried out a little more. The storm got worse. Jonah said, I'm telling you guys, just throw me overboard and the storm will stop. No, we'll make it to land. They rode harder. The storm got worse. He says, just throw me overboard. They said, fine. Just get rid of the guy. They tossed him. They pitched him. They, they threw him in. 
Bible says the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. Not necessarily a whale, as we've looked at, but we have no problem believing that it could be a whale. We've looked at that. Well, three days later, Jonah comes to his senses. He repents. Look at verse 9 and 10 of chapter 2. Jonah prays. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. My kids told me when I got home last, last Sunday, they said, hey, God speaks well. I thought, you know, like Finding Nemo, those of you who saw the cartoon. Hey, well, spit out Jonah. I, I don't know. Now I'm sure this great fish is more than happy to rid himself of this indigestible lump in his stomach. The well had the urge to regurge. Reverse sushi. Well, now we come to chapter 3, and you guys are going, thank you, Lord. Uh, We're going to see three things this morning. Number one, God's messenger. Number two, God's message. And number three, God's mercy. Let's look at number one, God's messenger. Now, the messenger is Jonah. And God is giving Jonah a second chance to do what he asked Jonah to do in the first place. Remember, we looked at that God wanted to do a work in Jonah's life before he could do a work through Jonah's life. Now look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. Now at this point, Jonah still had a decision to make. Clearly, he's no longer in the stomach of the fish. He he said, Lord, I will do what you ask me to do. But now he's free. Is he going to keep his vow? I say that because there are people who, who find themselves in difficult situations and they'll, they'll make all sorts of vows, all sorts of promises to the Lord. Oh God, if you just get me out of this mess that I'm in, if you just, you know, you know, help me here, I'm gonna follow you, and man, I'll completely surrender you, Lord. If you help me out in this one time, Lord, financially, man, I promise I'll do better with my finances. Lord, if you, I will. Then the Lord gets them out of the mess and it's like, see you later, God, next crisis, you know, and then they go their merry way. Jonah doesn't do that. God gave Jonah a second chance and he follows through with it. We're told in verse 3 that Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. He listened and he obeyed this time. Now you might say, well, that's nice that God gave Jonah a second chance. But what would have happened if after God rescued Jonah, Jonah said, no, okay, thanks God, I'm I'm not going to do this. And he continued to rebel. What if Jonah would have blown it a, a second time, or a third time, or, or a fourth time? I mean, I understand the Lord gives second chances, but when is enough enough? What would happen if after being vomited on the shore, Jonah went to the nearest port and bought another ticket to sell as far away from Nineveh as possible? Listen, I, I think that the Lord would have another well waiting just for him. He would have been another snack for another fish. And it would have gone on a third time, a fourth time, the 50th time, because God's mercy is inexhaustible. It just keeps working with us, and He just keeps working with us and remaking us. He doesn't give up on us. He just doesn't. And I'm so thankful for that. I mean, where would we all be if God said, you know what, I am so done with you. You had your one chance. That's it. You blew it. One and done. I'm out of here. No, we live on second chances. That's what grace is all about. 
And the Bible is full of stories of men who God's given second chances to. I think of Abraham. God told Abraham, promised that his, his, his wife Sarah would have a son. What does Abraham do? He decides to help God out and he goes and has a child by his wife's servant. He failed to believe God. But God didn't give up on him. God made Abraham the father of many nations. I think of Jacob. You know, Jacob lied to his father, stole his brother's birthright and blessing. He failed to live the way God intended him to live and, and, and only consented, only surrendered after God had wrestled him into obedience. Yet God changed his name from Jacob to Israel, meaning governed by God. How about David? God made him a king. And as king, David committed adultery with Bathsheba, then had her, her husband murdered to hide his sin. Yet David becomes a man known as a man after God's own heart. Probably the one most noticeable and, and notable is, is good old Peter. You know, Peter, uh, the one who swore that he would never deny the Lord, denied the Lord not once, not twice, but three times publicly. Yet, yet Peter failed Jesus, yet Peter goes on to become one of the greatest leaders of the early church. I mean, these people I've just mentioned, along with many others, have failed God at some point in their lives, but God did not give up on them. He didn't give up on them, and He won't give up on you or on me. And what a, a comfort to realize that the, the best of God's servants have made foolish mistakes, but God used them again. That's our God. God of second chances. See, and, and, all of our lives as believers are fully dependent upon the grace of God. And in fact, the, the fact of the matter is, if it weren't for God's grace, none of us would be here this morning. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, Paul talks about that, saying that God who is rich in mercy saved us so that in the ages to come, we might be a testimony to the glory of His grace. In other words, there's going to come a time in eternity when the angels in heaven are going to see you and me ruling and reigning with the Lord in heaven, and they're going to marvel. And they say, man, look at the grace that you poured out on these, these people, Lord, that, that you chose. Look at them, how He's rewarded them, how He's used them. The bottom line is that God loves to use people like you and me with all of our flaws, with all of our failures, and all of our shortcomings. So, God says to Jonah, go a second time. And this time Jonah says, okay, I'll go. Look at verse 3. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day of the week. Nineveh was huge. It's telling us that it takes... Three days just to walk across the, the whole size of Nineveh. It was one of the largest cities in the ancient world, numbering around one million people. Now this brings us to point number two, God's message. Look with me back at verse two for a moment. Notice what God says to Jonah in verse two. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. Preach the message that I tell you. This is such an important verse, not only uh, for any pastor, but for any home group leader, anyone who, who you want to disciple. Preach the message that God tells you. We're living in a day and an age where there's such a temptation for a teacher to want to teach whatever the people want to hear. You know, teach us some feel-good message. You know, we just want to want to hear all the, 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 the really good, the good things and all this. You know, Apostle Paul warned about that happening in the last days. Second Timothy 4.3, he says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. 
man, fables have become quite popular today. You know, they, 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 they find out what people want to hear and then they teach them that. And it's easy to draw a crowd that way, but that's not what God wants. What God wants is for His people to hear from Him. That's what God wants. That's why Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with long, long suffering and teaching. So Paul was saying there, if you're a teacher of God's word, then you're not, you're, you're to teach day in and day out you know, not positive message, only messages that will make you feel better. We're to teach the whole counsel of God. Preach the Word. That's one of the benefits of, of being a, what, what we do here at Calvary Chapel. It's what we're about. Going through the Bible expositionally, the big word that just means verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. You see, when you come across a scripture as you're teaching through a book, and you come across Jesus' words like in Matthew 7.21, this is not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. You go, whoa. And then maybe you come across a section of scripture like Revelation 21, 8 that says, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now you as a teacher, me as a teacher, you know, I can't go, well, what this actually means is it's not like fire, you know, it's not like brimstone. You can't get around it. It says what it means. I mean, it's there, you know. God says what He means. It means what He says. So in the same way, God told Jonah, preach the message that I give to you to preach. What was the message? Look at verse 4. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and then of us shall be overthrown. Now that word overthrown has the meaning of uh, to turn this way and that, or to, to turn every way. It has the idea of to literally turn it upside down. It's, it's a picture of maybe like, like a waiter. He's got a train, he's got all this food, and the drinks are all there, and he's coming across, and someone sticks out his foot. And the guy goes flying, and the, the tray goes all over the floor, and it's a big mess. It's just messed up. It's a, it, 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 the message was the city's about to be messed up. It was about to be thrown up in the air, splattered all over the place, overthrown. The same word that God uses when he was going to overthrow Sodom and Gomorrah. The message is yet 40 days. Now, 40 days, we know in the Bible, is the number of testing and judgment. Remember, the flood lasted 40 days. Jesus was, was uh, tested in the wilderness for 40 days. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh would be destroyed, turned upside down. So, I, I picture this scene. You know, here you got Jonah. He's doing what the Lord's coming to do, and he's ready, and he's preaching this message. Now, remember in our last message, last time together, we talked to, about a modern-day Jonah story from back in the 1800s, how the, the, there was a, a whaling ship known as the Star of the East that was off the coast of the Falkland Islands. They spotted this large sperm whale, so they sent out two boats, and they harpooned it, but in the process of harpooning it, a couple of guys got thrown off the ship. One guy, you know, drowned. The next day they couldn't find a, a guy named James Bartley. He was lost at sea, assumed dead. So when they got the whale up on, onto the ship, you know, they, they removed the blubber. And, and the next day they hoisted the stomach of the whale up onto the whaling ship. And when they cut it open, out drops shocked James Bartley, alive but unconscious. Now the gastric juices of the whale's stomach had bleached his skin pure white, all of the hair of his, of his body was gone and his eyes were this bright blue color. Now think about it. That's what Jonah looks like as he's walking into this town of Nineveh. I mean, it'd be pretty freaky. 
Uh, imagine the scene, you know, uh, maybe you got some Ninevites that are sunbathing. Nice day out today, doesn't it? It looks great, man. The wave's looking pretty good. What is that? Is that a ship? No, it looks like a well. Man, it's coming up on shore. Man, it's coming right up on the beach. And the well opens its mouth and, Whoa, you know, uh, hi, I'm a prophet from God and I have a message for you. I mean, I don't think it happened exactly that way, but my point is the way Jonah looked, freshly vomited Jonah, skin white from the acid in the stomach of a fish, smelling like something that should be thrown back into the ocean, looking like the walking dead, standing up and saying, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You know, that's not what I would call a seeker-sensitive message. I don't believe Jonah walked into Nineveh all cleaned up, looking good with the message, hey, Ninevites, God loves you and have a wonderful plan for your life. He couldn't. He'd be disobedient to the Lord. Again, the message that God told him to say was, yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. It's the same type of message that God has called you and I to preach. We've been called to preach. In Luke chapter 24, verse 46 through 47, Jesus put it this way. Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. That word repentance that Jesus used there in Luke 24 is the Greek word metanonia, which simply means to change your mind. Think about it. When you want to do over, what do you do? You change your mind. Oh, oh, let me do this again differently. That wasn't so good. I changed my mind. Jesus was telling people that it's possible to have a do-over in life, but it begins with a change of mind. You see, the path uh, that you have followed has not led you where you want to go. Now, here's the promise. When we repent, when we change our mind about the direction we're heading, God will give us that do-over. God forgets our past as if it never happened. When God forgives, He forgives completely. There's no lingering resentment with God. He's not going to come back to you years from now and go, hey, remember that sin that I've forgiven you of four years ago? And let's talk about the whole. He's not going to do that. Let me say this. God is less concerned about your past as He is excited about your future. He's excited about our future. In fact, if you want to know if the voice you're hearing is from God or not, here's a simple test. Satan will always point to your past and say, look what you've done. But God will always point to your future and say, forget the past. What will you do now? Someone once said, when Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. I agree with that. Well, what happens next with the Ninevites is some genuine marks of repentance. Look at verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God. Stop there for a moment. That's the first step to repentance. Believing God. God. Notice it doesn't say they believed in a God or in one of many gods or they believed in the great spirit, the spirit in the sky. No, they believed in the one and only true God. That's the starting point. And and I believe that true preaching and teaching will always lead with the same result. It will draw people to God. It It will cause them to put their faith in Jesus Christ. It will lead them then to repentance. Once you come face to face with a holy God, the first reaction is, I'm not holy. Isaiah experienced this in Isaiah chapter 6 when he said he saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the, filled the temple. And, and, and Isaiah's words were, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. So we read verse 5, the people of Nineveh believed God. And what did they do? They proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. 
Now, sackcloth was, was a, a type of material made out of goat's hair, worn as a sign of mourning for the dead for, or for repentance for the sins of the nation. So what we see here is that these, these folks of Nineveh, they were, they were broken. They were mourning over their sin. They were, they were changed. And the evidence of that is seen in the fact that from the greatest to the least of them put on sackcloth and, and fasted. Across the nation, there was this, this humility that was present in their repentance. Suddenly things like position and, 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 and class or who had the most power, the nicest appearance, all of that did not matter anymore. In fact, even the king put on sackcloth and fasted. Look at verses 6 through 8. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. So not just the people, every animal was clothed with sackcloth and been given to fasting. Paul in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 says, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Matthew Henry writes, A changed mind produces a changed way. See, what we're seeing here is a picture of total self-abandonment. Abandoning them of their their image. They did not care. And that really is the, the true mark of repentance. When a person is no longer worried about how they are perceived, they're no longer worried about what other people will think about them, all that matters to them is that they're right with God. They have that right relationship with God. See, sometimes, you know, uh, peer pressure can, can, can break that in us. I remember when I first attended, I was invited, this was years ago, before I came to know the Lord, I was invited to Calvary Chapel of Riverside. Back in 1975, I was a... a junior in high school, and uh, uh, it's Harvest Christian Fellowship now. But there was just this little church on, on this hill, and, and, and this long-haired, bearded, hippie-looking guy, 21 years old, Pastor Greg Glory, he was given a message on repentance and salvation. Now, I want, you know, because I, I like the girl, yeah, I'll go, you know, but man, after hearing that message, I wanted to raise my hand, give my life to the Lord, but man, I had all my buddies that came with me, and we're kind of making fun of some things, oh, you know, that type of thing. And, and, and I thought, man, I, did, I gave in to peer pressure and I didn't do it. It wasn't until four years later that I gave my life to the Lord. And I tell you, I regret those four years. Things that I've done in my life that, that if I just would have said abandoned and surrendered at that point, I know I wouldn't have done. I think a, a lot of times that holds people back from true repentance. They're, they're too concerned with what, what people or others are thinking about them or what they will think about them. I love the saying that goes, if you knew how much people really don't think about you, you wouldn't worry so much about what people think about you. Again, a mark of true repentance is when a person is no longer worried about how they are perceived. They're no longer worried about what others are thinking of them. All that matters is they are right before God. And the Ninevites didn't care what anyone thought at this point but God. I mean, this was a city that was so into satisfying their flesh in every aspect of their lives They're now going in the complete opposite direction to the Lord. In fact, look at verse 8 again. The king says that everyone turned from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. 
John MacArthur writes this, Repentance involves sorrow for sin, but sorrow that leads to a change of thinking, desire, and conduct of life. We are free from sin only when we face it and we disown it by owning up to it and turning from it. Repent. Repentance in the New Testament always refers to a change from sin to holiness, turning away from the self and moving towards God. It is a recognition of the horror of sin and the holiness of God. Listen, when I finally gave my life to Jesus Christ, it wasn't because I wanted to have joy in my heart, though I did receive that. You know, I didn't come to Christ because of what I thought Christ would do for me, though He has done so much for me. No, I came to Christ because I recognized that I was a sinner. I came to Christ because I realized the weight and the filthiness of, of my sin. I realized there was no amount of good works that I could do that could wash away that sin that's in my life. And I realized that I was destined for hell and I needed to repent and trust in my Savior. And what I found is that Jesus wanted to change me from the inside out. He wanted to do that work in me before He could do the work through me. And the same thing is true for you and, and for Jonah as well. You see, what we see here is that, number one, they believed God. Number two, they were broken. Number three, they were in denial uh, of their flesh. And number three, there was a sense of urgency. See, in verse 8, we see the king's decree. He says to cry mightily to God. That word, uh, the word mightily can mean a violent outcry. It's the highest degree of harshness or severity of an event or an action. So, oh Lord, please forgive us. I mean, they're they're crying out from the the depth of their hearts. And the king goes on to say in verse 9, Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Now, what's amazing to me is that this Gentile king, without any assurance of deliverance, if the people repented, that they, they wouldn't be judged. But he tells them anyway to repent, to cry out to God, and perhaps God will show his mercy on us and we will have perhaps. But he didn't know without, they did it without knowing the outcome. See, that's the heart of true repentance as well. Lord, whatever happens to me is going to happen to me. I just want to tell you that I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for what I've done. Here's what we know from our last study last week. Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. See, God takes notice when we humble ourselves before Him and confess our sins and repent. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who conceals the transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. That brings us to our final point. Number one, we have God's messenger. Number two, we had God's message. Number three is God's mercy. Look at verse 10. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that He had said He would bring upon them, and He did not do it. Oh, how merciful our God is. God saw their works, He saw their repentance, and He forgave them. You may say, well, well, wait a minute. I mean, doesn't that contradict Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, when Paul tells us that it's by grace we've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works, Works lest any man should boast? Well, no, not when you remember what James tells us in James 2, verse 20 through 24. You can read that up on the screen. But do you want to know, a foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? 
Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Now, how do you reconcile those two verses? Listen, Paul in Ephesians is talking about the way of salvation. He's telling how a person is saved. It's by believing in Jesus. It's exercising faith in the finished work of the cross of Christ. James is focusing on the proof of salvation, where he says faith without works is dead. One way is of salvation. The other is proof of salvation. And when you blend the two together, that's what we have clearly here, that we are saved by faith, not works, but our faith is a faith that works. Our faith is evidenced by our works. So when we read that God saw their works here, he's referring to the fact that he sees their proof of repentance. It was manifested in their actions. The Bible tells us to bear fruit worthy of repentance. That was, that was what they, he saw. And as a result, it says God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. Psalm 103 verse 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. In other words, God is a God of second chances. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Through the Lord's mercy we are not consumed because His compassions shall not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now, I mentioned how wicked Nineveh was known for. It was the largest city of the ancient world, numbering around one million people. Yet the spiritual awakening, this revival, spread throughout the entire city. You know what that reminds us this morning? That nothing is too hard for the Lord. And, and, and even though this was an extremely wicked city, God offered them forgiveness. In spite of all the horrible things that they did, God gave them another chance. And I might add, uh, in spite of Jonah's half-hearted message, you know, I, I don't think Jonah, you know, didn't, he didn't really offer any words of hope. He didn't say, if you do this, God may give you another chance. Man, and all the people who should have, it should have been Jonah. I mean, he was given a second chance. No, what was Jonah's message? Forty days, and then shall be overthrown. Forty days, you guys are toast. Your history, your bye-bye, see you later, too bad, man. That's the way it goes. He didn't say, but if you turn to God, if you turn from your sin, if you make these changes, God will pardon you. No, it's just you're dead meat, you're going to perish. In spite of that half-hearted message, God intervened and gave these people another chance. And my point is this, if you're here this morning and you need another chance, God who is rich in mercy is willing to give you another chance, a do-over. Then I think about our country. I think about the United States, man, we are really without an excuse. Jonah, he you know, offered a half-hearted message to this wicked nation, and they believed, and revival broke out. In America, we've heard the message of the gospel over and over again. And listen, knowledge brings responsibility. Once you've heard the message of the gospel, you can no longer plead ignorance. You can no longer say, I didn't know. That's why Jesus made the statement in Matthew twelve forty one: the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. Essentially, Jesus was saying, I have come to offer you a message of forgiveness, a message of pardon, a message of a second chance. But if you do not believe my message, these people of Nineveh, they're going to rise up in judgment against you because they didn't hear as much as you've heard and yet they repented. Let me tell you, I'm seeing right now that our country needs a second chance. 
And maybe you're going, uh, man, it might be hard to imagine getting one that a revival like Nineveh could happen here in America. You know, the word revival comes from the word revive, which means to flourish again, to come back to life. And there have been great revivals in American history that, that have been massive and, and changed the culture, changed the, 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 the morals of our country. The divorce rate went down. Bars were shut down. Great changes took place. And I think as we look at how radical things are right now in our country, we say, I can't even imagine that. I can't imagine that happening once again. I think we've gone too far. Do you ever think that? Let me share with you five things that I, that I took from a, a study I heard Pastor Greg teach on, on revival in the Bible and in human history. I think it will help us and, and give us a little bit of hope. Number one, every revival that had happened in the pages of the Bible began in a time of national depression and deep moral distress. I see that happening. Number two, they all began with an individual. Someone willing to stand up and make a difference, to stand in the gap, to pray, to be available to God. Number three, every revival was built on the Word of God, preached and taught and obeyed. Man, we need to see that. Not only preached and taught, but, but obeyed. We hear a lot of Bible studies, a lot of messages, but we need obedience. Number four, every revival brought an awareness of sin and the need to repent of it. And number five, every revival brought a change in the moral climate. Certainly our, our country fits in all those categories. We're, in, we're ripe for revival in America. And we say, well, we just need to get the right person in the White House and that will change everything. No, that's not going to happen. The revival in Nineveh started at the ground level, if you recall, from the people. Then it made its way to the king. In the same way, if we want to see an awakening in our country today, we should not be expecting our politicians to lead us. We should not be expecting the president to lead us. We shouldn't even be expecting preachers and pastors to lead us. We need to get out there and experience it for ourselves. And it begins with acknowledgement of sin. Second Chronicles 7.14, a verse every Christian should have memorized. God speaking, he says this, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and forgive their sin, and heal their land. You see, if we want to see healing in the land, God says, this is what needs to happen. Notice what he does. He first points his finger at us. Yeah, there's a lot of horrible things going on out there, but God says, what about you? Do you have any wicked things in your life that you need to turn from? Is there any sin in your life today that you need need to deal with? That's where we need to start. There must be repentance from all known sin. Because listen, you can pray until you're blue in the face, but if there's there's unconfessed sin in your life, it's not going to go any further than the roof of this building. Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But we're told in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we want to see revival in America, it starts with us. Such with our hearts being changed. Let me tell you this. Jesus Christ paid the debt for our sins when he died upon that cross. You haven't gone too far from God's grace and mercy. He's going to give you another chance, another do-over. But there has to come a moment in your life when you say, I'm a sinner. I'm separated from God. Lord, come into my life. Forgive me so that I know that I'm going to heaven. Have you done that yet? Have you put God first tonight? If, that, if not, that needs to be done first and foremost. And I pray that you've made that commitment to Christ this morning.
that you say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I turn from it today. Come into my life. I want to be born again. But maybe you're longing for revival as I am. And when you hear a message of God's call to revival, we say, man, we want revival. We want it today. We want it in our land. Listen, we need to humble ourselves and cry out to God. We need to pray for our nation and pray for our community and pray for our church and pray for us as individuals. And I'm convinced that God will hear our prayers. As we close this morning, I want to do something different this morning. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up here right now. And I want all of us to stand. And I think this is important. I I, I want to lead us in a prayer. Because this is a prayer of a spiritual revival. I think if we want revival in in our life, to revival in our church and our country, we need to cry out to God like we saw the people of Nineveh did. We need to humble ourselves. We need to seek His face. Lord says, "Seek, seek the Lord while He may be found. If that's your heart this morning, then I want to lead us in a prayer. And I'm just going to ask you to repeat this prayer after me. It's crying out to God for our country. Just repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, Our country needs an awakening, a spiritual revival. We need a move of your Holy Spirit across our land. Lord, we pray that it will happen in Springfield. That it will happen in our surrounding communities. Lord, we pray that it will happen in our church. Lord, we pray that it would happen in each one of us. Lord, I need revival in my life. I confess to you my sin today. And I turn from it today. Lord, we turn from our wicked ways. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, Amen.